Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It is a great blessing that we may be here again to join together in worship of our triune God. A hearty welcome to all who are present here and to all those who have joined us via the live stream. May the preaching direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Saviour Jesus Christ and cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. Brother Dathan Plater will lead the worship service this afternoon. And before we begin, let us sing together from Psalm 78, verse 1 and 2. Good afternoon, congregation. It is a pleasure to worship God in, the, in this new year. Let us now rise and lift up our hearts to God. As we come to worship, let us confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. And God greets us this afternoon. Grace to you and peace from God our, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us continue our worship and let's sing praises to our creator for his awesome rule and justice with the words of Psalm 146 verses 1, 3, and 4.
Psalm 40, verse 9, the psalmist declares, I have told the glad news of salvation in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. Well, congregation, let us now together declare to each other the glad news of salvation as we have it summarized in, the, in our Catholic and undoubted Christian faith. And we'll do so with the words of him too.
Let's now come before God and ask for his blessing on this worship service. Let us pray. Dear God and Heavenly Father, we, we know that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from you, the Father of lights, and in whom there is no variation or shadow of change. And of the many wonderful things that you graciously give us, you give us each other. You predestined us as individuals in love. You called us as individuals by your glorious gospel. But you gather us collectively as a church, as all different people from different walks of life, from different families, and you bring us all together as one family, brothers and sisters with each other. And what is more, we are a body, each being individual parts, which means that no one here in this church is dispensable. No one here in this church doesn't have gifts that, that we can all benefit from. No one here in this church can't bless the rest of us. Lord, you give us each other. And we thank you for this incredible gift. We pray that you would warm our hearts for each other, that we would love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That, it, that our hearts would be devoid of malice, of deceit, of hypocrisy and slander. Lord, unite us in the bond of faith that we may be closer together. That we would be of the same mind, the same love, closely connected and of one mind. As we gather together as church to hear your word, to hear it proclaimed, we pray that you would give us the encouragement of Christ, that you would calm us with the comfort of love, that you would fill us with the participation of the Spirit. Lord, kindle on our hearts affection and sympathy. And as we read your word, may you open our eyes to its glorious truth. Help us to hear and so believe in believing to live and living to walk with you in the week that, that lies ahead. Father, we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So this afternoon, my intention is to preach God's word as it comes to us as I should say, as it's summarized in, in Lord's Day 42, which is about the Eighth Commandment. And so in preparation for that, we'll read from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40, uh, 58, which you'll find on page 724 of, of the Church Bible. So Isaiah 58, and we'll read the whole chapter together. Hear the word of the Lord. Cry aloud. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? 
Is it to bow down his head like a reed, to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear God. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. You take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, Then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In response to the reading of God's word, we'll sing Psalm 35. And in this psalm, the poor man cries out to God because of his oppression. And we can very well imagine a poor man crying out in the time of of the text. So let's sing Psalm 35, 1, 4, 9, and 11.
So our confessional reading this afternoon is Lord's Day 42, where what we have is summarized what God requires of us in the Eighth Commandment. So Lord's Day 42, you'll find that on page 557 of the Book of Praise. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, but also such wicked schemes and devices as false weights and measures, deceptive merchandising, counterfeit money, and usury. We must not, we must not defraud our neighbor in any way, whether by force or by show of right. In addition, God forbids all greed and all abuse or squandering of his gifts. What does God require of you in this commandment? I must promote my neighbor's good wherever I can and may, deal with him as I would like others to deal with me, and work faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need. After the proclamation of the gospel, we'll sing from Psalm 112, verses 1 to 3. Congregation greatly loved by our Lord Jesus Christ. About a month ago, I was at the 7-Eleven at Haynes Shopping Plaza on Armadale Road. And I went there to grab a few bags of ice for a barbecue that we were having that afternoon. And anyway, there was, as I was grabbing the bag of ice, there was a delivery man there with a pallet and he had all sorts of flats of V and energy drinks and soft drink and all sorts of things like that. And he was delivering them one by one into the store. Well, as I went and grabbed the ice, I came out and suddenly there were these kids and they're grabbing all these, these energy drinks and legging it and running off across the road. And as, as they did so, onlookers were honking their horns, yelling all sorts of expletives, but the kids had run off across the road. And then two weeks later, I was at the Coles on Ranford Road. I was standing at the line waiting to check out my groceries, trying to juggle them. And then there was a lady who ducked under the counter and grabbed two packets of smokes and walked out and off she went. So that was twice in two weeks. And both times as I drove home, I was so angered by it. Just the injustice the blatant disregard for other people's property, the gall to take what's not yours. It was just so frustrating to see that. I would replay it in my head and try to think of ways, what could I have done to stop it? And I'm sure many of you can probably sympathize with that. You've probably had a, been in that situation before. Maybe right away you think of someone who broke into your car or broke into your house broke into your workshop, your job site, someone stealing some of your belongings. It's so infuriating, isn't it? And it happens quite often. But congregation, what the Word of God forces us to acknowledge is that as angry and as frustrated as we can get, that we're not without guilt in this matter. Now maybe right away some of you are thinking to yourself, well I haven't stolen anything lately. 
You hear the law this morning and you think, tick, I've done that one. And yet, like the other commandments, the eighth commandment cuts deeper than we think. The word of God teaches us that by nature we are thieves. By nature we are takers. Our natural inclination is to acquire for ourselves. So what happens is sin fills us with a disregard for other people, as we saw in the sixth commandment, and also a disregard for their property. And that is why God gave us the eighth commandment. He gave us the eighth commandment to curb the, the sinfulness that lies so close at the door of our hearts. And more than that, what we see is that God in his mercy not only gives us the law, but he also transforms us so that we love that law and that we live that law, that we live it out. We see that through Christ, God transforms thieves by nature into people who give, people who are philanthropists, people who benefit others, who use their possessions to benefit others. God powerfully frees us from slavery to robbery so that we can live a self-denying and generous life. And that's what we we want to see this afternoon. God transforms us from thieves to philanthropists or from takers to givers. And we'll see two things. First, we'll see that we are takers without Christ. And second, we'll see that we are givers because of Christ. So we are takers without Christ. And that's something that you find very quickly in the scriptures. It doesn't take long to see the spirit of thievery at work. You just have to look right in the first pages of the Bible. You think of God had created that beautiful universe, the beautiful creation in Genesis 1 and 2. He gave man this well-watered garden to live in. And yet that well-watered garden had one rule. Genesis 2, verse 16 to 17. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. The day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And we see that soon afterwards, sometime after that God gave the law, the liar, the thief himself, Satan, he entices Eve, he entices the woman to pursue that which is unlawful to her, to take that which doesn't belong to her. Genesis 3, he said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. And so Satan lured mankind with this vision, this glorious vision of themselves. They would be like God. They would have power. They would sit on their own thrones. And what we see is that vision comes by stealing, by taking something which wasn't theirs. And what do we read in Genesis 3? And Adam and Eve took the fruit and they ate. And mankind has been thieves and robbers ever since. We see that human sinfulness leads to robbery, which is the the taking of someone else's belongings by brute force or violence. It leads to thievery, which is the possession of someone else's goods through cunning and craftiness. Think of what the catechism says here when it says, false weights and measures, deceptive merchandising, counterfeit money and usury, defrauding your neighbor, whether by force or by show of rights. And so what we see is that sin, it creates an atmosphere where there is no respect for the other person and their property. 
And that's what we see in the history of God's people. So God, in the Exodus, he had delivered his people. And then he gave them his laws. And one of the laws that he gave is this one, the Eighth Commandment. You shall not steal. Instead of stealing, they were to be different. Instead of stealing from the poor, instead of using the sojourner, instead of taking the inheritance of a widow, God called them to, sh to show generosity, to show care for all these people. Deuteronomy 24 verse 15, it says, You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless, or take a widow's garment in pledge, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore I command you to do this. They were different people. They'd been delivered to be different people. God gave them these laws. He gave them these religious duties so that Israel would be a light to the nations. The nations would look at them and they would see people who respected other people's property, who honored their property, who tried to promote their neighbor's good. That's whom God's people were called to be. And yet, when we look at Israel's history, we see that Israel so often became just like the nations around them. Isaiah prophesied. He prophesied to the Israelites. He prophesied to a people who had all the outward trappings of religion, but whose hearts were far from God. We read that in the opening verses of Isaiah. He says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children, have I reared up and brought up, but they've rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They were completely estranged from God. Their heart was a far cry from the heart of their father whom they were meant to reflect. We see that they stole, they robbed each other for their own benefit. Isaiah's contemporary Micah, who prophesied around the same time, he said these judgments to Israel. He said, Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it, because it is the power of their hand. They covet fields, they seize them. And houses, they take away. They oppress a man in his house, a man and his inheritance. Micah 2 verses 1 to 2. And yet, if you and I were transported back to that time where the Israelites lived, we would see them outwardly worshiping the Lord. We would see them outwardly praising God, delighting in Him. And yet their outward religion, and their outward worship had no effect on their inward hearts, the inward disposition of their heart. And that is what Isaiah 58 is all about. God comes to his people in Isaiah 58 and through the prophet he says, Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. God says, Go Isaiah, speak to them. Speak till you're hoarse in the throat. I've had enough of their religion. I've had enough of their outward ritual. And then he continues, They seek me. Daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They offer sacrifices. They observe my Sabbaths. They do fasting as if 
they were a holy nation, a royal priesthood, whom I called them to be. Yes, they fasted, but it was for their own pleasure. It was for their own selfishness. Yes, they took a day of rest, but it led to the oppression of people. Their workers had no rest. See, brothers and sisters, fasting was a form of, of self-denial. You would put sackcloth, you would wear this really stiff clothing, and then you would also put ashes on yourself. It was a form of self-abasement, of humbling. And then you would abstain from eating food. And the whole point of it was to help you to focus your heart and your longings on God so that He would be your satisfaction, that He would be your delight instead of your possessions, instead of your pleasures. Or think of the Sabbath day, the Sabbath day, the day of rest. It was a day that would be one where the burdens of God's people were, were lifted, where they would experience a little taste of what Adam and Eve experienced in the garden, what they would experience one day in the heavenly glory. It was to lift their burdens from the curse, not to create a heavier yoke for those around them. But that is exactly what it had become to the Israelites. It says, Behold, behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. The word oppress here, it means to be a master, to, a taskmaster. So just think of the Israelites in Egypt and the, ta- the Egyptian taskmasters who placed heavy burdens on their backs. Or think again that the word, you oppress all your workers. And the, worker, the word for work, it means to be pained, to be grieved. So instead of God's people being a people who would free others from their burdens, who would lift it, they pained other people and grieved them. They became like their taskmasters in Egypt so many years ago who placed heavy afflictions on them. They gave their workers the bare minimum wage. They charged huge interests to help and to assist the widows who in the end were more indebted than they started out with. They used the loopholes of the law to, to steal the very clothes off their neighbors' backs. All the while, you can, if we want to use the words of James, they said, be warmed, be cheered, as their brother went off in his nakedness and destitute. And if we want to put it in our own terms, they did all that while they came to church and worshipped, while they put their money in the collection bag. Well, is that the kind of religion that God delights in? Is that the kind of religion that pleases our Lord? Is such fasting, such Sabbath day rests a delight to Him? Well, no, congregation, of course not. Outward obedience to, to the ceremonies, feast days, rest days, was not enough. As we see through Scripture, God wants our hearts. Think of Psalm 51. Where David talks about, I could give you all these sacrifices, but what does God want? He wants a broken and contrite spirit. He wants their hearts. He wanted them to have a heart of love for him and for their neighbor. Without the heart, all those externals are a front to God. They're an affront to him. 
God gave his law so that he could have his people's hearts. Congregation, maybe you see where this is going. You see, all of us here, we sit in church, we worship God, we delight to do so. But what would God say to us? What would he say to you in this regard? They seek me daily, they delight to know my will, and yet they, what? What would he say? They seek me daily, they delight to know my ways, and yet they, they fudge their timesheets so that they can have greater pay. They flip on their th- phones while at their employer's expense. They take their friends' toys out of their own homes. They're entitled, and then they borrow without asking. They delight to know my ways, and yet they live amongst communities which are in need, But they ignore that and instead they look at their own prosperity. They look at their own comforts. They delight to know my ways and yet their heart is home of greed. What would God say to you? What would he say? You see, without Christ, our hearts will find a way to take all those outward things that God gives us to help us to serve him from the heart And we'll take those outward rituals, the outward religion, and we'll twist it so that inwardly we can live for ourselves, just like the people of old. And we see that again where where Jesus came. He came in his ministry and he was grieved by what he saw with God's people. He, He was grieved by the spirit of thievery that lived amongst them, the greed. And he saw it even at the temple. You think of the temple. The temple was meant to be a a place of holiness, a place of mercy, of care, of compassion, of beauty. And yet when Jesus saw it, he saw people who plundered others of their goods, who defrauded others in the name of God, all the while they were doing the outward religion. So we have that verse in Mark, he he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers, you make it a den of thieves. Devoid of Christ, they took those good laws, those ceremonies that God had instituted and they used them as an opportunity to take from their neighbor. Outwardly they serve the Lord, but there was a spirit of greed, of selfishness that was in their hearts. And I think we can sympathize with that. We can see that in our own hearts. Outwardly we do all the things, and yet inwardly our hearts can be a home of greed, a home of selfishness. You see, Isaiah gets very specific here. He's talking about the homeless. He says, you see the homeless, bring them into your home. He speaks about the oppressed. What would he say to us? Could it be that we're attentive here in church, we're listening, and yet we're not attentive to the needs of the people around us? You see, this is why our Savior came. He came, and what was his mission? He said it was to proclaim liberty to the captive, to proclaim freedom to the poor, 
If you look at his ministry, his heart was filled with compassion and care for those around him, for the poor. There was warmth for the destitute. And yet, if we look at his end, he died as a thief. He was crucified as one who would take from others. Mark 15, 27 to 28, it says there, With him they also crucified two robbers, two thieves, one on his right and the other on his left. So scripture was fulfilled, which says, And he was numbered with the transgressors. He became a thief so that we could be saints. He took the punishment a thief deserves so he could give you a life you don't deserve. That is what our Lord did for you. But that's not all congregation. Because what we see is that through Christ, he also transforms us so that we do something that is contrary to nature. We give and we become generous. That brings us to our final point. We are givers because of Christ. So then, what kind of fasting did God delight in? What kind of Sabbaths did he delight in? He says there, is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? And then if you look further on, it's, it says there, if you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light arise in the darkness. That's what God loves. That's what delights in Him. That, that's what delights Him. Fasting, as we saw before, was a form of self-denial. It was all about self-abasement. And yet God's people, they thought they could fast if they just put their sackcloth on, they put their ashes on. That was fasting. And yet they missed the whole point. Fasting was about denying your own pleasures, denying your own gratification. And that's what delights God. When his people give at their own expense so that others may gain. God loves it when his people deny their own luxuries, their own preferences to enrich those who are around them. You see, if the eighth commandment calls us to void all forms of stealing, then this is what it calls us to pursue instead, to pursue generosity. And the catechism highlights this positive aspect when it says there, what does God require of you in this commandment? I must promote my neighbor's good wherever I can and may, deal with him as I would like others to deal with me, and work faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need. Instead of ripping off our neighbor, God calls us to love them as we love ourselves. Work faithfully so that not only we gain, but so that others gain. Work not to gain, but to give. And that's the call of our Savior, isn't it? To deny ourselves. It's the, follow, the call of a follower of Christ. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24 to 25, He says, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake... We'll find it. 
Now why? Why is that? Why is self-abasement, self-denial, generosity, why is that what it looks like to be a Christian? Because that is what the heart of our Father looks like. Our God is generous. If we look at all those laws commanding the Israelites to treat the, those who are oppressed, those who are on the fringes of society, to treat them well, to care for them, to be generous to them, it's because of the generous nature of our Father in heaven. As a few of you have told me, no one can be more generous than God. No one gives more than God. No one can outmatch His care, His love. No one can give as He has. And we know this from just looking at the cross of our Savior. If we think of stealing, stealing is taking something from someone else and at their expense, at their unwilling expense. And yet what we see is that God shows His love for us by securing our salvation, not at your expense, not at our expense, but His expense. Jesus Christ came to die for you. That was the cost of our salvation, the precious blood of our Savior. And He did that willingly to obtain a life which we could never acquire for ourselves, a life with God, a life which we had robbed ourselves, as the Catechism says, in the garden when we sinned. And so God calls us to give. Why? Because He gives. Because He gave. Romans 8.32 He did not spare His own Son, but He gave Him up for us all. How we will, not, well, will He not also give us all things? So congregation, how is it going for you? God in His grace, He's given us a new year, the year 2023. It's a time of reflection. Maybe you're thinking about different goals, thinking about how you might grow in this new year. Well, how are you going in this, this commandment, in this area of your life? If you look back on the year 2022, how did, how did it go for you? If it was between giving and taking, which one did you practice more of? What motivated you to work? What motivated you when to use your time in certain areas? Was it a desire to acquire, to gain? Or were you open to being generous? Did you display a love, the love of Christ, as it overflows to a love for each other? If you look at the words of the Catechism, it says, and work faithfully so that you may be able to give to those in need. If I think of my year, the year 2022, it's not a place that I always found myself in. If I think of seminary, I had received so generously from people so that I could study. And yet if I look at my thoughts, I was waiting for a stipend. I couldn't wait for a stipend because then I would get this and then I would get that. Then I would get this for myself. You see the same sort of greed, the same sort of selfishness come through. Well, how was 2022 for you? Maybe if you look back, it's discouraging. Maybe you see various forms of thievery. You see greed taking place in your heart. You see selfishness. You see self-indulgence. It's easy, isn't it, to look, at, look down our noses at those people at Haynes, those, those kids that ran off and took stuff, or that lady who stole a packet of smokes. But we're no different, aren't we? 
If anything, we're worse because we know the heart of our God. We know his laws. We know what delights him. We know what pleases him. And yet so often we pursue our greedy, our thieving desires. Well, congregation, this is the glory of the gospel. The gospel is that God changes us. He changes our hearts. The Spirit transforms us. And so that we give as our Heavenly Father gives, instead of taking as Satan takes. This is what Paul speaks about in his letter to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he's speaking about those who do not inherit the kingdom. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, the idolater or adulterer, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. And such were some of you. And he continues, but you were washed, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Without Christ, you are a thief. That's who you are. That's who I am. Condemned before God because of that. But in Christ, He transforms us. He sanctifies us. So that that's in the past. And so that we can now live for Him changed lives. Now that you are His, He will make you to become more like himself, to reflect his generous heart. And so as you walk with him in this new year, you will become more caring, more generous, denying yourself rather than living for yourself. And with this, our Lord gives us also a promise, a a blessing. He says in Acts 20 verse 35, it's more blessed to receive, I mean to give than to receive. Which if you think about it, it seems so counterintuitive. Logic tells us is that if you give, then you have less. And yet as one Christian writer put it, he says that's the great paradox of the Christian faith. That blessing comes through self-denial. That we receive when we give. That we gain our lives when we lay them down and we deny them. This is what God promised his people in Isaiah 58. He promised that blessing would come when they lived for him, when they reflected his heart. If we read Isaiah 58, it says that beautiful promise of blessing. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in the scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall rise up, raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall call the repair of the breach. You shall be called the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you see that promise, that promise didn't come to full fruition when they came back to Israel and built, the, built Jerusalem. Rather, it was looking ahead to the rich inheritance that God has in store for all of us. That well-watered place, that dwelling, where God will lead us where he will fill our hearts with joy, with satisfaction, with delight. And so he calls you. He calls you to give. And he will enable you to give and to deny yourself so that you might receive the storehouses of his riches in heaven. 
and so that you may experience the blessing of the kingdom, a kingdom which comes by walking as our Savior did, who gave instead of took. And so this is whom God will, will transform you to be in this new year, people who give, who are generous, and not thieves. Amen.
Let us now come before God in prayer. Eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we, we praise you for, gen for your generous and your caring heart. You are not a God who withholds or keeps back, but you give, you lavish, you pour out your mercy, your grace, and your compassion in, in such abundance. If we look at our own lives, we can be so stingy, so greedy, so entitled to things that you've given us. Sometimes, Lord, we, we see the need, we see lack, and we turn away in our natural selfishness. But Father, that's not the case with you. You are so generous, and we love you for that. We praise you for that. For your generous heart is at the very center of the gospel. For Lord, you did not withhold your son, your only son, but gave him up for us. The cost was so very dear. It wasn't gold. It wasn't silver or money or, or things that could be bought. It was nothing less than the blood of your son, a lamb without blemish or spot. He became poor for us so that we may become rich in him. Father, we praise you for that. And so we pray that you would curb the evil of our hearts. We live in a world that pursues possession and wealth and we acknowledge that it's so easy to get caught up in that space. Our hearts can easily become so focused on acquiring things for ourselves and, and in self-indulgence. And so we pray, Lord, that you would free us from that. That you would make us like yourself, caring and generous. Cause us to be willing to deny ourselves for the benefit of others as our Savior did. And Father... We pray that you would also bless what was good. Because we know as, as sinful, as, as much as we see our sinfulness in this past year, you were also busy. Your spirit was at work in our hearts. Filling us with a love for each other, which showed itself in deed, in care, in compassion. And so we pray that that love would only grow and increase. That it would be said of us that we are marked by care. That we are marked by compassion. And Father, we also thank you for your goodness to us in this past year. We thank you for the office bearers who were faithful and diligent in their task, be that in weakness. We thank you for the preaching and the teaching that could happen in, not only here in, on the pulpit, but also in the catechism class and also in the homes. We praise you that your word went forth and we pray that it would continue to bear fruit among us in rich measure. Lord, we thank you for the various social events, for the fellowship that we could have in this past year. We pray that we would continue to get to know each other, that we would become closer, united in heart and in mind. We thank you for the gift of new life, physical and spiritual. Lord, you've been so good to us. As a congregation, we've witnessed growth, not only through baptisms, but also through people coming in who are drawn by Christ, who are drawn by your Spirit, Father, we praise you for the baptisms and the professions that we could witness. We thank you for the young people who profess their faith. We thank you for the newcomers who are coming to learn more and more about you. And Father, above all, we thank you for all the people here in this church who come Sunday by Sunday to listen not to a man, but to their Lord and their Savior who come not to hear the words of, of human wisdom, but rather to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd, 
who come simply so that they could live with Christ in the new week. Father, thank you for the heart that you've given all these people who love you and desire to serve you, even though they see their own sin and even though they see their own weakness. They want to know you. They love you. And they seek to glorify you in whatever place you find them, they find themselves in. Father, you are truly so good to us. And now as we look ahead to this new year, we ask for your blessing and your continued presence in our lives. Lord, for some of us, 22 was a wonderful year. A year of much excitement, of much growth. A year of new relationships, job opportunities. And so they, we, we look to 2023 with much excitement and optimism. And for some of us, it seemed just like another year, a year of the same old, same old, going to work, coming home, going to school, coming home. And so maybe we look ahead with a bit more pessimism. Some of us have had a very tough year, a year of increased anxieties and worries, a year of health complications, a year of conflict and hostility, of hurt and betrayal, of deep mourning and grief. So maybe we look ahead worried and maybe even a bit cynical, wondering about your presence. Father, no matter where we find ourselves as we begin this new year, help us to continually look to you. Confirm your love for us. Confirm your presence among us and walk beside us. Hedge us in behind and before. May we lift our eyes to you, the, the one who the overflowing fountain of all good. And Lord, we look to you, we clinging to your promises, confident of your, your grace and mercy, and hopeful of your return. We bring all this before you, in Jesus' name. Amen. You now have an opportunity to give of your gifts, which is requested for the needy churches in South Africa. And as you do so, remember the words of Proverbs 22, verse 9, which says, Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. And afterwards, we'll sing from hymn 85, 1 through 3.
as you depart this place, receive the blessing of your bounteous God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.